You may be down and think that God has somehow forgotten that you are faced with circumstances you cannot get through. Well, right now it seems there's no way out and you're going under. But God's proven time and time again, he'll take care of you. And he'll do it again. Oh, yes, he'll do it again. If you will just take a look at where you are now and where you've been. Now, has he always come through for you? He's the same now as he was then. You may not know how, you may not know when, but he'll do it again. God knows just what you're going through, and he knows how you are hurting. You see, he knows just how your heart has been broken in two. But he's a God of the stars, the earth and the sea, and yet he's your father. If God can calm a storm, then he knows just how to take care of you. And he'll do it again. Oh, yes, he'll do it again. If you will just take a look at where you are now and where you've been. Now, hasn't he always come through for you? He's the same now as he was then. You may not know how, you may not know when, but he'll do it again. Oh, cause he's God. And he will not fail you. No, he's still God. And he will not change. He is, and just like with Moses, just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, my God will do it again. He'll do it again. If you will just take a look at where you are now and where. Now hasn't he always come through for you? He's the same now as then. You may not know how, you may not know when, but he'll do it again. You may not know how, no, 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 no. You may
Let the church say amen again. I tell you, we have already had church. In fact, twice this morning, I was ready to change the order of the service. After the choir sang that song, I was going to jump up and get started and be done. But something restrained me. And then they got up and sang another song. And I said, my palms are sweating now. I'm ready. Because all these songs really fit into uh, the message that I really now believe that the Lord has placed on my heart to share with you this morning as a church. I want to thank our extended family. You've been promoted visitors to extended family for coming. Some of you so far, my brother from New Jersey, I remember chasing him down the road uh, some months ago, asked, inviting him to stick around uh, a little longer, and he had uh, another engagement. Uh, but uh, of course, you all are welcome to spend the rest of the day with us in fellowship in the name of the Lord. What better place to be than here at Elmhurst today? Um, you know, I learned a new moral uh, this week. In fact, actually, I could say over the course of the last seven days, eight days, I've learned a new moral. And that moral is, sometimes, and I underscore sometimes, when you comfort the disturbed, the comfortable become disturbed. That's a, that's a pretty sad state of affairs in many cases. In comforting the disturbed, sometimes you disturb the comfortable. And uh, I'll just share a testimony with you briefly before I start. Last week, I sat here on this very rostrum and I got a persistent phone call. Uh, it buzzed, it didn't ring. And uh, there are some uh, weekends when we you know, have difficult cases in the medical center. I'm a healthcare professional by trade. And so I wanted to make sure that this was not an emergency. But when I looked at the number, it was uh, my tenant. Uh, we have a a second home and we rent it out uh, and the tenant, the tenant sound very distressed so I removed myself from the, uh, uh, the, the call looked very distressful, it was persistent. I removed myself from the rostrum and I returned the call to find that he was having trouble, he and his family. Uh, his request at the time was would it be okay to reduce the monthly rent. Now that's really not a Sabbath type of uh, thing to happen. And so uh, needless to say, I sensed the urgency in his voice. And uh, my wife and I had been talking uh, about actually increasing uh, the rent. Uh, we have not increased the rent in the three years that they've been there. And just so you know, uh, the rent that they pay does not cover the mortgage. So essentially, we are paying two mortgages, not just one, but we're paying two because we are supplementing. And so all I could think of is I listened to him as he pleaded urgent, you know, uh, it's uh, very uh, fervently or feverishly uh, that, that can you do something for us uh, because we are having trouble. So I, I, I talked to him and I explained what our plan was to be, uh, to actually increase the rent and that we could talk more about it later on. But then I, I sensed a, a pause. I, I, I just got this sense of urgency. So I talked him through uh, and offered some suggestions. Uh, his wife is not working. And so I uh, had mentioned to him that we may be able to help her her profession is, is health care, and we may be able to help her with the job. They have three children. And so pretty much that was the end. We hung up. I assured him that we would not go up on the rent this year and that we 
would do what we can to help get the uh, other household person back to work. Well, by Monday, I believe, I get a mail, a letter in the mail from the mortgage company for that particular home. And they just wanted to inform us that they were reducing our monthly mortgage to a dollar amount that is less than what the renters are paying. So if anything, we will be making extra now because the Lord is good. God is good no matter what. And I'm going to praise him no matter what. Now, all of a sudden, a story came to my mind, because I heard it recently, and I believe it was here, about the guy who was forgiven his debt, and then he goes out and somebody owes him money, and he, he, he puts the pressure on this guy to get his money back. And what happened to that guy? The guy who had been forgiven his, his debt to go out and pressure somebody who owes him money, he gets thrown in jail by the king. And so I'm thinking, okay, Lord, is it enough to just not go up on the rent? Should we go down? And I'm still waiting on the Lord to speak to me on that one. Uh, but again, I thank him for blessing me no matter what. And I will praise him no matter what. You know, I was looking over to my right, and I almost lost my train of thought twice. And I realized, that's Jeremy over there. Jeremy, wave your hand so I can see if that's really you. Jeremy? Is that you, Jeremy? That is Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, Queen, and now I see, I, I, I remember you. Uh, you were little and in diapers, and now you're, and now you, and, and then I think I saw another one. Is there another one? Oh, on the drums. Okay. So welcome home, family. It's good to see you all. Uh, all right. I, I should not have acknowledged him. Now he's going to play the song on the drums for us. All right. Okay. So I don't have, uh, I'm going to try, I'm going to move around a little bit. I, I, I have trouble standing still, so uh, forgive me. I, I, I'm going to move back and forth. I will speak loudly. Uh, I'll try to get to the mics, but I want to be able to see the screen behind us. And I'm not going to be very long this morning. Uh, I just want to uh, make uh, a few points. But first, but first. That on test, test. But first, a little health update. You know, part of being comfortable uh, when you are in an element that may not necessarily be something you do on a regular basis, uh, you want to talk about something you know, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about something that I know for sure. Uh, I do know my scriptures, but I also know my trade. And so uh, today, I just want to talk about some of the determinants of healthcare because it is changing a little bit. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, when you really analyze and look at what is happening in the, in, the, in the world of medicine, in the world of science and technology, there are a lot of things changing. You know, uh, just uh, this past uh, month uh, in a uh, lab that I am part of, we are now able to do something very amazing. Uh, there are certain diseases prevalent that necessitates a lung transplant. A lung transplant. And more lungs are discarded than any other organ in the body that's slated for transplant. And again, it's, it's no, no real science to that at all. They just look at the lung of an un unfortunate individual, and usually these are young individuals. 
and they, they look at these lungs and say, are they suitable to save someone's life? Well, thank you. Well, the, the, the issue with that is, is that there's so many people that need lung transplants that to discard an organ that might be viable is really uh, something that we really need to give a little bit more thought and we need to take a little bit more of a scientific approach in our decision making. Well, it turns out that now we can actually take lungs that would be discarded, suspend them outside of the body, put air into them, run a blood-like substance through them to see what the function is. And if the function works out okay, we can take that lung after all that and we can put it in, a, in another person. That's amazing advancements in science and technology to be able to take an ex vivo lung model and do something like that. And you know, God is good still. Because that's not us really. That's God allowing us to grow in wisdom so that we can use it for good. And it's just too bad that sometimes that's not guaranteed. I keep thinking, I tell people, man, are we becoming Frankenstein? You know, some of you might remember reading the book Frankenstein or seeing the movies. And you never imagined that that would ever be possible to put a human being together from different parts from someone else. And here we are transplanting lungs, kidneys, livers, pancreas. You know, we are doing some amazing things. But when we look at the determinants of just global health, not even just in our communities, but in looking at global health, things that are determinants climate changes. We have hurricanes in New York, floods in New York. We had a tornado in California not long ago. Tsunamis. You know, we, it's cold in the summer and hot in the winter sometimes. Financial crisis. Well, I just told you my story, my testimony, and I'm sure all of you have a testimony. The economy is just not good. Our poor president, taking the blame, blaming it on him, throwing the, trying to throw our president under the bus. Okay? Energy and food insecurity. You know, I have made a decision which has been many, I've made a decision like this before, as you know. I have made a decision to, to make that full lifestyle change to try to eat right for me. To eat right for me. Now, you know, my weight goes up and down. You guys know, this is my family out here. Y'all know me, so I can't tell a story. You know, the visitors probably say, oh yeah, you look like you're doing pretty good, you're losing weight, but I can't tell a story. I, my weight goes up and down. Next, in, the, in the winter, I might be 30 pounds heavier. I mean, that's how my weight, my weight swings 30 pounds. So I'm 30 pounds lighter today than I was eight weeks ago. But I have figured it out. Thanks to God helping me, I have figured out the right balance on how to eat. I can actually live with the way that I eat now. Before, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Because now, in doing my research and looking at it with the quality of food, and what they're doing to chickens, what they're doing to cows, that were, cows were designed to move around, not be in a close quarter. Their systems were not designed to eat corn, but yet they're eating corn. They're feeding them corn. And then to keep them alive so they don't get sick, they're pumping them with antibiotics because the corn is lowering their immune system because it's not something they were meant to have. And so when I learn about these things, and then have you looked at your average elementary school person lately? Your average junior high school person lately? Do they look like the people in your peer group when you were in elementary and junior high school? No, they don't, and there is a reason for that. There is a reason for that. Hormones are also being pumped into these animals and livestock. 
I'm not here to, 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 to talk to you about being a vegetarian or I'm not here to tell you what to eat. But I'm here to inform you that this is real. This is not from an Adventist database. This is from a worldwide database. So the world recognizes this. And you know, it's interesting because we had a discussion about this. You know, what, you know, what is the plight of people that they will consume things that they're killing? Is that a suicidal tendency? Do we have a suicidal tendency that we don't know about? But it's interesting because one person said, well, wait a minute. It is cheaper for me to feed my kid and make sure that they're full by giving them a Big Mac and fries than it is to go out and pay more money to eat nutritious, but at the same time, I can only afford so much. So it won't go far enough. So we're locked in. Some of us are locked in. You know, this is why, you know, when we read uh, the spirit of prophecy and we read other books, it's not even just the spirit of prophecy, but other books that tell you, put, you know, bring up gardens in your own backyard. My grandmother had a garden. Bring up a garden in your own backyard. Grow your own stuff. That way you can take care of it the way that God intended it to be taken care of. I know people now that actually have their own chickens, that have their own cows, because they're not messing around. And these are people don't, that don't know like we know. And so we have to be careful. Energy, energy, renewable energy. That's a buzzword out there, right? How many of you heard the term renewable energy? You know, that was a big thing. And now, you know, one of the big companies that was supposed to help us with that decided to, to go bankrupt. Uh, and they did that. They went bankrupt, but they had just taken a whole bunch of money to get going. So that's a pretty short time to take a lot of money and go bankrupt. So, you know, there's something fishy going on there, I'm sure. Armed conflict. Armed conflict. That is a determinant of health. And most importantly, it is a determinant of mental health. PTS, post-traumatic stress. There are people coming home from these places where there's armed conflict with post-traumatic stress. And stress is a killer. It is a killer. Changing patterns of disease. Diseases are changing and getting stronger too. You know, you know we, are, we run faster as a people. We jump higher as a people. We lift more as a people. We change. We are adapting. I, I, I remember as a kid, if someone told me that somebody would run a mile in five minutes, I said, no way. That would be the flash, right? Well, guess what? Diseases are adapting, too. They're changing, too. They're getting better at resisting antibiotics, too. And so these things all are what we are faced with as a people. And then the last thing is urban living. Urban living. It is estimated that by the year 2030, six out of every 10 people will be a city dweller. And many, believe it or not, by choice. Why? Because it's closer to their work, it's closer to the action. I think suburb living, certainly by the year 2050, people are gonna be like, why you live way out there? People are not gonna want big homes anymore. You know, they want small homes, you know, maybe two bedroom. They walk outside and the store's next door. The movie theater is right walking distance. They don't need a car anymore. So big homes, are gonna go out of style. And, and those places are probably gonna be the more cheaper places to buy. It's gonna be more expensive to live downtown. If you don't believe me, look around. They're putting them up. Did you see the high rise every time you cross the Bay Bridge? I can guarantee you that is out of a lot of folks' reach to be able to buy that. And it's smaller than your home in, in uh, Antioch, in Hercules, in American Canyon, you know, those places are gonna be a thing of the past. And this is probably why my aunt always said, when we was kids, when you buy a home close to the city, never sell it, keep it. I said, that's no way, these old houses, they shacks. I want the new and improved. 
But now, those places are, they, as soon as you move out, they mow them down and they build something else up and they charge you an arm and a leg. It's unaffordable. The problem with that is you have a lot of people in close proximity. And especially if you have a climate that is not financially uh, rewarding to individuals, now you have people that are robbing you, holding you up, you know. You have people that are in close proximity. The, 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 the poor and homeless will be with us always. They will be there. They don't usually hang out in your neighborhoods how far. They're usually right there with you downtown. And uh, we still, as a healthcare community, have trouble t managing the health conditions of homeless. If they're exposed to tuberculosis, we, can't, we, we have a, a tough time making them come in and get their, re their regular medication. In fact, at one point, we thought about even bringing back TB sanitariums. How many of you ever heard of a TB sanitarium? Yes, we had talked about bringing that back because we needed to get them somewhere so that we can treat them so that they don't go out there half-treated and they expose somebody. Or they go out there half-treated and the bug now has time to learn how the antibiotic works and it evolves. So there's a lot of things that can, that can happen here in, in, an urban, in urban living. And urban living is nothing new today. Even in the time of Moses, as we were reading the uh, scripture this morning, that was urban living when, they, when the folks lived in Egypt and they worked in Egypt. So again, some of the uh, specific health issues today uh, include the following. Some of these are, are always on the list and, they are, and, and they're, on the, they're in the order of prevalence. So the ones that happen most frequently, cardiovascular disease still at the top of the list. But are you surprised? You're surprised? You're surprised? Let me tell you why you shouldn't be, because we just talked about the food that people consume. You know, it is, it is still a problem with foods that we consume and how they attack our bodies. Cancer is still second. And it's interesting because the reason why cancer cannot overtake cardiovascular disease is because they both are growing at an enormous rate. You know, if we could, if we could slow cancer of uh, cardiovascular heart diseases, if we could slow heart diseases down a little bit, cancer would by, by far overtake cardiovascular diseases. But the cancers are also getting more difficult to manage. And then you see stroke, respiratory diseases, accidents, um, and these are unintentional accidents, uh, diabetes, Alzheimer's, flu and pneumonia. You know, we've had a, several flu scares over the last 10 years, uh, which never really panned out to be much, but it was a scary thought. But Hollywood decided, hey, you know, we're gonna capitalize on that. So now you see a lot of movies about people exposed to things uh, and they're getting really sick. Well, you know, a lot of that is not far-fetched. You know, which is probably why we shouldn't be, be trying to become urban dwellers. If anything, we should be trying to get out. You know, because you know, you, you decrease your exposure to some of these things. Kidney disorders and blood infections are all, are all things that still top the chart when it comes to health issues today. So that's my little uh, health spotlight. Take care of yourself. Uh, and, and really, just like being a Christian, it really calls for a lifestyle change. Amen. Well, being healthy is a lifestyle change. And if, if you stop to really look at it and analyze it, they really kind of go hand in hand. So the church, I like to think of the church in this way. What is the main function of the church? And that's a question. What is the main function of the church? Anybody? Evangelism. Evangelism, okay. Anybody else? We all have a perspective, right? And then there's what God says. Main purpose. Because it's kind of, it, it, it's tough because it's like, wait a minute, the church, main function, main purpose, main goal. Are they all the same? Probably not. But they all ultimately points to the goal. So for example, I see the function of the church as being spiritual enrichment. We are here so that God can work on our hearts 
get us ready for now the main purpose, which is to get out in the community. Now, we can't stop there because there are some folks that will get out in the community and they're just out there. We're, we've been enriched and we're out in the community. But then what? Saturate a dying world. We need to talk to them. We need to talk to them. And so those are all very important aspects of the church. And that is incumbent upon us as Christians to get enriched, but don't keep it to yourself. Get out in the community, but don't just look at the folks and say, wow, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. I'm not, thank God I'm not like that person praying over there. Okay? Saturate a dying world. Tell somebody. Amen. Tell somebody about it. Because in all of that, you just, again, enrich your own lifestyle. 360 degrees. All right. So I have another question for the group. What guards you against foolish extremes? What keeps you in check and keep you balanced as an individual? What brings security to a relationship? What characterizes those who are successful in sports or a specific career? Because it's the same for, for all of these. What is needed most, and this will probably give it away right here, what is needed most from parents in the home? What, is your, what do your kids need from you as a parent? What draws you to your favorite restaurant time and again? Something. What would add more enrichment to your witness for Christ more so than anything else? One word, one word. Love is part of it, but that one word is consistency. Consistency. And if you think about it, when we fall off the track, it's because we are no longer consistent at what we do. Amen. We somehow will lose our identity for a minute and we become inconsistent in our behavior. Now, my prayer every day, and my prayer is fairly consistent, but it's not just rolling off my tongue. It really is, I really think about it. God, please, you lead the way today and let me follow. Amen. Not, I'm going to take off, but I'm going to bring you with me and I'll, I'll call on you when I need you. No. God, lead me. Lead me. Pilot this vessel and let my action, thoughts, and deeds be those that are yours. And in that prayer, now I'm out in the community, Lord, let me be a blessing to somebody who's less fortunate than I am. Now, some, of, some, some folks are fairly quiet and shy. That's just who you are. But your body language, your posturing can be a witness to somebody if you have that lifestyle change. Now, to move on to our topic today, and I thank uh, Brother Ben for praying for me. I thank you all for praying for me. But I want to take a few minutes and pray for myself uh, that the Lord is using me and that I'm on track, the track that he would have me on uh, for this morning or down this afternoon. Father God in heaven, not my words, but your words. Not my deed, but your deed. Not my actions or thoughts, but yours. Use me as you see fit. Let my lips be yours right now is my prayer. Amen. Amen. This morning, 
I'm, I figured it must have been this morning, I had a dream. Church, I had a dream that I was here at Elmhurst. It was vivid. I can tell you what I had on, because I had on what I have on right now. It was vivid. But the thing about it is, the pastor was preaching. The pastor was here preaching. And so I was sitting here, I was like, wow, it's Labor Day weekend. I thought I was supposed to preach. And somebody said, oh no, no, you didn't, you weren't supposed to preach for the 11 o'clock hour. You have the afternoon session. You're supposed to talk about health. So then I remember in the dream, frantically going through and, and eliminating these some of these slides because I was like, wait a minute, I thought I had this sermon, but I have a health message. I have to go in there and change my whole talk around. I only have like 10 minutes. That was kind of like a, a nightmare, I guess, a morning bear. But you know, I, I was thinking, I was, I, when I got up this morning, I said, Lord, why did I have that dream? You know, why did you give me that dream? You know, why not a different one? Like that I did preach and everything went well, you know. Uh, not that I wasn't supposed to preach, but then I thought about it, and I, I figured it must have been some anxiety going on there. You know, maybe I was wishing that the pastor was actually going to be here preaching and not me. You know, because usually the dreams you have, are, there's something in your subconscious that drives that. So I figured that must have been it. So maybe I was trying to pull a Jonah in my own mind, you know, and say, you know, maybe I don't need to go to Nineveh and talk to the folks. You send somebody else. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and even I, I tell you, you know, even Sister Evelyn came to my mind. Even Sister Evelyn, you came to my mind this morning because I, I, I listened to, you know, how you uh, talked to us last week at the concert uh, and, and, and the words and, and just, you know, how you I was thinking, maybe Sister Evelyn, she can get up and do it, you know, <laughs> you know, because I know she's ready. She's already warmed up from the week before, you know, but uh, I guess God uh, placed me in the thicket. So. Before we get into the, the, the state of Israel at this time, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about, again, going back to uh, uh, this whole issue of consistency. The whole issue of consistency. And in, our, in a scripture, 2 Timothy, when I, was when I was thinking about consistency, because that, again, that's what we need is consistency. I thought about this passage, the exhortation here by Paul, where he said, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I'm going to go over here and get my, my Bible. Just in case there was a typo somewhere in there. I, want, I know I have my spiritual warriors out there and and you can make sure that uh, I'm, I'm honest. Uh, and this, these are not, again, my words. That I just pray, I, as I said to the Lord, his word, not mine, not Brian's word, but the Lord's word. And so, you know, consistency, consistency, a living model of patience. I heard somebody say patience today, how they have more patience, Brother Darrell. It's a living model of patience, determination, and strength regardless of the times that we live in, regardless of the economy, regardless of urbanization, regardless of, the, of our state of health. Consistency is a model that we all need to live by. Also, Paul in his exhortation in Galatians, he said, let us not, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap as long as we don't give up. That's right. That's right. We have to stay strong. We live in tough times. I was talking to Brother Darrell uh, this, this uh, morning, and he was just talking about how disheartened he is about the state of the community. How folks are robbing people in broad daylight. And even taking their lives for a chain, for a couple of hundred dollars. That is a sad state of affairs that we live in. It's, it's almost scary to think of being on the road. 
I have two, uh, all my sons, well, no, not all of them, but two of them are driving. The other one is uh, getting ready. And now I think about, Lord, my sons are driving cars, and they don't, you know, they're not street smart. I don't think they are. Maybe they just put the facade on for the parents. Maybe they know, maybe they know more than I think they know, but they just don't seem street smart to me. And so I'm thinking, are they going to know to lock the doors? Or are they going to know that if someone comes to the car with a, with a gun and say, get out, just get out of the car and give it to them, are they going to say, oh, this is my grandmother's car, I can't let this go? You know, or this is my mom or dad's car, I can't let it go. Are they going to do that? It, it's, it's, it's a scary thought. But then I have to go back to my spiritual roots. Trust in the Lord. Sometime. Trust in the Lord always with all your heart. And lean not to my own understanding. Because my own understanding is that, you know what, maybe I should just take the keys and we should just drive them everywhere and then, you know, send them, send them off to Oakwood in the country where they won't be hopefully around anything, you know. So let's talk about our, our Israelites as we get ready to move into uh, uh, some final points here. Now, I, I, I want to take us back to the beginning of Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. And I want to focus on these first three verses here. Exodus. And for those who don't have their Bibles, it's uh, right up there on the screen. And basically, what this scripture said, this is, this is Israel, the Israelites, now out of Egypt, and I guess they have now found themselves here present for Elam, on a trek, moving, moving as they did for many years, on their way to Elam, and came to a desert of sin, the desert of sin, excuse me which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, they hadn't been out that long, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. I think the, the, the King James said they murmured. They murmured. And actually, really, this murmuring started back in chapter 15 and continued probably up through chapter 17. They grumbled, murmured against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Listen to that. If they had died by the, in other words, Lord, kill us in Egypt. If they would have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around our pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Boy, it was something about diet. Boy, I tell you, hey, hey, we, you know, we some like to eat folks, you know. You know, whenever you get together, you congregate, it's natural, you know, you have dinner, you know. We, we have potlucks and uh, people come over to the house. We eat and we fellowship. So I'm sure they was thinking we're not only eating, but we can at least fellowship in our comfortable places, you know, around our, our, our pots of meat, ate the food we wanted, but you, Moses and Aaron, brought us out to this dreadful desert because by now there wasn't a whole lot going on. They were just walking, moving along. And maybe that's what it is. When, you, when there's not enough for you to do, uh, perhaps your mind starts to run away with you. That's why they say an idle mind is the devil's workshop because they were, for whatever reason, there, there was, I guess, nothing else that they could focus on. And so, you brought us out here in the desert to starve as a community. Boy, that must be hard for a leader. I often wonder, because there was a whole lot of folks out there walking around. I, I often wonder, how did Moses get his voice to project over so vast of a crowd? I can barely get my voice to project in the sanctuary without a microphone. I wonder how he did it with so many people, him and Aaron. But this was, this is what they they were murmuring and grumbling about. And you know, I, I'm not mad 
at the Egyptians. They were babes, weren't they? They hadn't been out of Egypt that long. So they were still learning. They were still, have, they were still on that journey to try and get this spiritual enrichment they needed to be a successful people for Christ. You know, we have some misconceptions, I believe, about spirituality. And these misconceptions, uh, one, sometimes we think because you are a Christian, all of your problems are solved. Is there anybody in here that believe that? You know what? I used to believe that too. When I went down in the watery grave, I said, oh, all's good now. You know, I'm going to come out of there and uh, everything's going to happen for me. And no more good luck charms I need. You know, I got it all. It's, I'm wearing the good luck charm now. All of the problems you will ever have are addressed in the Bible. Now, there may be some similarities to your problems in the Bible, but we live in the 21st century, and some things that happen to us now, uh, just there was not the technology or the advancement to, for it to have happened to us there. But there are some similarities. We can draw many parallels, and we do. When we study our Bible, we draw a lot of parallels to ourselves. But there are some things that the Bible does not address right there in those pages. But as you study, you will develop something called divine wisdom. Amen. And divine wisdom will help you navigate through it. It may, not, it may not remove the problem, but it will help you to navigate through it. If you are having problems, you are unspiritual. A spiritual misconception. A spiritual misconception. Because otherwise, when I go to work every day, and I look at all these sick people in the hospital, they must be unspiritual because that's why they're sick. Shame on me to walk in there and think and come to that conclusion. That's a common spiritual misconception. Being raised with, with and exposed to sound spiritual teaching will automatically solve your problems. Wow. I think it takes a little something on your part, too. You know, you can't just sit in a church, right? You can't sit here and gather and gain the power that you need to go out there and solve problems. And even still, again, as I said in my previous statement, coming to church, being involved, growing spiritually will help to give you what you need to navigate through the problem to get through the problem. And this is why when I look at all the things that can happen in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, I say to myself, I am going to praise God no matter what. No matter what the problem is, I am going to praise God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul that I can muster up in my own human ability because what you may have and be able to muster up may be more than what I have. Or what I have may be more than what somebody else has. But as much as I can understand in my own human wisdom, I am going to praise God no matter what. Because I tell you, the, the, the sky is not always clear for me. I was glad to hear Brother Moses say, sometimes you know, we have to wait for the sun, S-O-N, to come out. And the sun does, S-O-N, does come out. But I believe that more and more as I take this Christian journey, I'm becoming more patient, more consistent in my ability to deal with the tough times when they come. Because I really do believe that God never gives anyone more than they can bear. And I have to remind myself of that, especially when I look at some other people's situation that's even worse than mine. Worse than mine. Those individuals that are hospitalized, those individuals that are terminally ill, I think of my own aunt who's very sick. My mom sang that song with a lot of passion because her sister, her sister church is very sick. Cancer. But I have to remind myself, he never gives us any more than we can bear. So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what, what does he do to the mind? How does he comfort the mind? Amen. And I said, well, and then I st take a step back and I said, well, wait a minute. Am I asking a question? How does he comfort your mind, Brian? When you're struggling, when you have something that's not going well, how does he comfort your mind? He's going to comfort their mind the same way, just on a different level. 
have to remember that. So why should we praise him? That's a heretical question, because some people will be wallowing in their situation and say, why on earth do I praise? Why should I praise God? Well, I'm going to give you 10 reasons. And, I'm, and those 10 reasons, as I get ready to close here, those 10 reasons you can find in Ephesians chapter 1. I like the book of Ephesians. Amen. And it's amazing. That I, can, I didn't have to, like, jump around too much to find these 10 reasons to praise him. And I'm sure we could probably, th I could think of actually, to be honest, I could, I could talk about 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 reasons, but I'm gonna just talk about 10 reasons today. 10 reasons to praise God today. One, because he blessed us. If you are in Ephesians, if you've come with me to Ephesians, and you look in verse one, what does it say? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and, at, and, and to, the, uh, to the faithful of Jesus, grace be to you, peace from your God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is there. He is not just someone who is only a fair-weather friend. Even when you are not doing what you're supposed to do, God is there. He blesses us no matter what. And he blessed the Israelites. They murmured. They murmured, and he still blessed them. Number two, because he has chosen us. How nice it is to be chosen. And this is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians chapter, the, the first one, by the way, I'm sorry, I should have kept on reading. I got all excited. I, I stopped short of my, my verse. It's, blessed be the God of Father. Uh, blessed be the Father and uh, God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly uh, places in Christ. So that was, that's, the, that's, the, that's the sort of text for that first one. The second one is found in verse 4. Accordingly, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation <clears throat> of the world, that we should be holy without blame <clears throat> before him in love. Now, to be holy without blame, we're human. We're not perfect. But yet God still chooses us some of you have chose somebody, even if you chose uh, a wife or some companion, if you chose a good friend, you chose them. You know how that friend feels? Being chosen by you? Because the mere fact that they decided to befriend you says they wanted you to choose them. Out of all the people that he could choose or she could choose, they chose you. Praise God. Praise God absolutely. Number three, because he predestined us to adoption. Now that just rolls right in. That dovetails in nicely. And, 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 and here, when you, when you think about that part, see, when a, when, a, when a child or a person is adopted, they are extended all the privileges of a natural born child. That's why we can call Jesus our brother. Because God has adopted us and he has entitled us to all the things that he would for his own son. You know, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, when we believe, when we believe, it's amazing what God can do for us and what God can do with us. The only person limiting you is you. He wants to do so much for us and we hold back. You know, it's, and you know, maybe, maybe it's sort of the, the, the battered syndrome. You know, we're, we're afraid to trust you know, some, somewhere along the line, we've been hurt. We've been scarred. We're, we're, we're afraid to trust. We're scared that if we open ourselves up, 
that it, maybe it'll all fall apart. I've had people say, I'm scared to open myself up because if it all goes bad, I don't know if I'll be able to recover from the disappointment. Amen. They don't know our God yet. Our God is not us. Our God is amazing. He is awesome. He has a love for us that no one can match. He is the most consistent person you will ever know in your life. Because we have redemption through his blood. Because we have redemption through his blood. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 with me for a minute. 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 18. Verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. And the scripture reads, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, silver, gold, from your vain conversations by tradition of your fathers, but... Verse 19, with the precious what? Blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish. There is no detergent. There is no detergent better than that. You know, I, I'm reminded of a story uh, of two refugees, brothers, who were making an escape. The soldiers with guns and rifles were chasing them down and fired shots. One of the brothers was hit several times in the back. He fell to the ground after trying to continue, and, he, and, the, and the younger brother said, because this actually happened to be the older brother, the younger brother said, we're not gonna make it. The older brother said, you're gonna make it. And what he told the younger brother to do was to remove his clothes. Take those bloody clothes off. Put them on and lay me on top of you. Cover yourself in my bloody garments. And lay beneath me. And when the soldiers got there and they saw the two down, they figured they were both dead. And they passed right on by. And the younger brother survived survive thanks to, to the blood of his big brother. Did our big brother not cover us? Did he not cover us? He covered us. And so that is a reason to praise God today because you are covered with a detergent that works better than anything that you could possibly imagine. Anything that Clorox can come up with. Because he has forgiven us our sins. Because he has forgiven us our sins. And I tell you, even when we sin again and again and again, what does Psalms 103 verse 12 says? You guys know that. You guys know that scripture. Somebody turn to Psalms 103 and read that one scripture. You're going to look at that and you're going to say, oh, yeah, that's right. I know that scripture. 103, the one, the 100, excuse me, the 103rd division of the Psalms, verse 12. Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west. That's a, that's a pretty good stretch. So has our Father forgiven our transgressions. Now, we're not talking about just the east and west of the United States. We're talking about from one end of the world to the other. And that's just something that's, I guess, tangible enough for us. I guess he could have easily said the universe, right? Because what he's saying is he has forgiven us our sin. We just have to accept it. Amen. Because he has bathed us in his righteousness, in his grace, excuse me. Because he has bathed us in his grace, not sprinkled us, but he immersed us in it. Some will use the term lavished. 
He's lavished us in his grace. You know, I am glad that I am lavished in God's grace, which we know when we talk about grace, grace is what? Unmerited favor. So I can't earn it. I can't, you know, try to score points by being better than the next person to be lavished in his grace. It is unmerited favor. And I thank God. And you should remember this when you're dealing with others. Because <clears throat> some people may not always earn your grace. They probably cannot earn your grace. But as your father has stated to you, you cannot earn his grace and it is unmerited. Perhaps we should think about that when we're dealing with others. Number seven, because he made known to us the mystery of his will. He's not hiding anything from us. In fact, if you look at Ephesians verse nine, let's go to Ephesians, back to Ephesians for a minute. Verse, verse nine in that same first chapter, it says here, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now, you know, God, when I read this, this, this chapter in Ephesians, I realize God loves me. Amen. Even though I'm a filthy rag, right. he loves me. And there's nothing I can do to earn it. It is just that love, just like the love a, a parent has for their child. No matter what condition they're in or what their circumstances, they, the, the, the parent loves the child. And that's how God is with us. He loves us. Because he has provided us an eternal inheritance. Now, that's what I'm looking for. And I, and I you know, I, 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 I am just really excited about that part of it. It's like, you know, and then maybe that's part of human nature, right? What's in it for me? What's in it? What is in it for me for, uh, for all this that we do? Well, an eternal inheritance. Again, an eternal inheritance. You know, and when you hear the term eternal inheritance, that means it's irrevocable. It's irrevocable. The only way we don't get it is if we just say, I don't want it. He can't strap it to us. It's already yours. It's yours. Because he has sealed us. Because he has sealed us. Ephesians, the same chapter, if you go to th verse 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that, ye believed, ye were sealed with the, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. It's right there. This is not Brian Daniel saying this. Brian Daniel Sr., now that I have a son that's an adult, it is God telling us we are sealed. We are covered. And number 10, because we have the guarantee of our future. See, when you, when, when you read that, when you read that, and that's Ephesians chapter 14, which, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of, unto the praise of his glory, Hear the promise. Hear the promise. It's done. Done deal. Amen. Done deal, your promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. Like a wedding band in some people's cultures. You put that on, that wedding band is a promise. It's a promise that you made to someone. We've been redeemed, church. Amen. We've been redeemed, and we live redeemed. And one day, we will live fully redeemed with God. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about y'all, but I am totally looking forward to that day. I'm not, I, I, you know, there are some things I like about the world I live in today, and I know you do. You know, I, I remember, and, but the older I get, I, I like less things about the world. Now, when I was a young person, you know, when I was Elijah's age, 
I want to grow up. I want to drive a car. I want to have a job. I want to have money in the bank. So I couldn't comprehend someone in a pulpit telling me, you know, I'm looking forward to making it to heaven. But wait a minute, what's going to happen there? They didn't tell me enough about heaven. They just said they want to be there. I didn't know about, you know, I didn't think about being able to fly. I got a little older in my, you know, early, uh, in my teenage, young adult life. I said, oh, I'm going to be able to fly. So then we were in college talking about what our takeoff was going to be. When I, you're going to know when I'm taking off in one corner of the garden because I'm going to have a special way that I'm going to take off. And you're going to say, there's Brian right there. He's on his way up. Right? Then you get a little older and you start thinking, well, hey, it really ain't all about the takeoff anymore, you know. I just want to be able to, you know, hear the birds tweeting, you know, sit back, relax, you know, talk to the people that I haven't seen in a long time. No more of that takeoff business, you know. So, so you, you evolve. One day we will live fully redeemed with um, our God. You know, I made a comment as I close. I made a comment. And I said, the only person holding us back, you, me, is us. You know, I, I'm reminded of, a, of a, a quote from Harriet Tubman. And she said, after freeing so many, her statement was, I could have freed thousands more of my people if I could have convinced them that they were slaves. This morning, some of us don't even realize that we are slaves to sin. The Egyptians, excuse me, the Israelites in their infancy, having left Egypt, did not realize that they still had a slavery mentality. They didn't realize that they were slaves. Especially if you can reach back and say in the scripture, if we could have just been in Egypt, 